0: I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all.
1: Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer!
0: And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, hey, welcome to the Touch em All Twins podcast. Phil Mackey and frigid. Minneapolis staring out at below freezing temperatures, while Derek Wetmore sits in sunny, although sometimes overcast, but still very warm Fort Myers, Florida. As pitchers and catchers have reported this week, uh, full squad workouts next week, and we're going to have all kinds of stuff on the touch em all feed and also 1500ESPN.com. What's going on, Derek?
1: Uh, I just got done reading Judd Zolgad's column on... Suggesting the Twins should trade for Chris Archer and that they shouldn't be worried if Royce Lewis is in the asking price. And the only reason I picked my jaw up off the floor is because we had to do this podcast. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great entry point into this
0: episode because Judd and I fought about this for two segments on our radio show. Let's start out with the report that came out over the weekend. Lavelli Neal the third. Uh, he, he had two interesting nuggets to report and this is kind of our you know we already did our U Darvish fallout episode you know should or shouldn't the twins have stepped up and, uh, and and gone to the table with another year or more money if you missed that episode that's kind of part one to this how to fix the twins pitching staff thing this is what's next and the fact that Lavelle reported the twins have already made an offer to the Rays sometime in the last two weeks for Chris Archer for my money, one of the top twelve or fifteen best starting pitchers in baseball, one of the top bat missing starting pitchers in baseball, and that the Rays want Max Kepler as part of any deal is really interesting. I think I think you know there's a big difference already brewing between the Terry Ryan front offices and the Derek Falvey Thad Levine front offices. And that I don't think Terry Ryan was ever really even having conversations with the U Darvish level free agents, let alone offering a hundred plus million dollars over five years. And pretty rarely, if ever, were the Twins talking about trading top young players for stud top of the rotation pitchers. And I and, and so before we get into the sort of what would you trade? Would you trade Royce Lewis? Uh, you know where would you draw the line? I think in general, if you feel like you're in a win now window. You should be looking to leverage lottery tickets for sure things. You should be looking to upgrade your team using the currency that you have, whether it's financially or whether it's your, your boatload of prospects. And if you're the twins, Derek, ideally you just maintain – a group of 15 to 20 really good, high-caliber prospects. You're able to develop them into major leaguers if they stay in the system, or you feel comfortable trading three of them for proven starting pitching commodities because mm-hmm. you're confident you can just keep drafting good players. Sometimes I think we cling to prospects because, oh my God, if you trade three of the top ten prospects, then like you won't ever get three good prospects ever again. And if you're running a good organization and you can develop guys and you're good at identifying draft picks and... Uh, and international free agents, you're less likely to panic when somebody asks for your number two best starting pitcher in a trade for an established starter.
1: A couple things that I want to say about Chris Archer along these lines, before we really get into, I guess if your question is what's next, I I don't have that answer in this response. Uh, We could talk about that. But two things that need to be said. Uh, On Max Kepler... If you think that Max Kepler for Chris Archer is even approaching a fair value for a trade, I think that you're doing it wrong. I think that Chris Archer is an established star who would slot in at the very top of the Twins rotation, one of the true aces in the game, in a game that doesn't have very many true aces. And uh, Max Kepler, as much as I like him, and I chatted with him today, the first day of Pet, pitchers and catchers reporting he's a position player who's here I, I like max kepler and i think he has potential to be a really good player i'm on the record in the past as having said i think he'll make multiple all-star games but he has a ways to go to get there and he did not take that step forward last year max kepler is an the best way to put it is an incomplete player right now he's very fast i like him in the field i like him fine as a corner outfielder He's got a good and accurate arm. He can really hit righties. And he's an unusable bench bat against left-handed pitching. So to me, that is like young player career arc. He's 25. Now go ahead and figure it out. If he doesn't figure it out, you're not even in the same ballpark in terms of Chris Archer value. The second thing I need to say to set the scene for this whole conversation is that if you're the Rays, the reason that you would trade Chris Archer is that you don't think that you can get the most out of him over the four years remaining on his contract. What I mean by that is, if you don't think you're competitive this year, that's fine. But if you're competitive next year, you'd love to have Chris Archer for three more years. right? That's just math. You'd have a good pitcher at a good salary for three seasons of World Series competitiveness. Now, it goes without saying that the Rays clearly don't think of themselves like that. Now, maybe they hold on to Chris Archer, but the fact that they're even entertaining trade possibilities says to me, Phil, we don't see us as ourselves as World Series contenders this year. Let's retool. I think you could retool without trading your best player if you thought that you were going to win in the next couple of years. But if you think you're at least like three or maybe four years away, Are you willing to run the risk that you'd then lose Chris Archer? Or maybe you only have one year left of Chris Archer and you're under the gun to make a decision. Do we trade him now for some prospects? Mm. Well, rather than back yourself, paint yourself into that corner, maybe it's just best to get the best possible return four years remaining on his deal when he's going to be at his most valuable. You save yourself from the risk of him getting hurt. You save yourself from the risk of him underperforming and hurting his trade value. There are a lot of things you do by trading him right now. Uh, but but the, the reason I say that is because Max Kepler has five years of team control left. So are you trying to tell me that the extra one year of an uncertain corner outfielder who can't hit lefties is, is worth giving up an ace-caliber starter who could get you a haul of prospects from any other team, I think we, we got to say those two things. One, Kepler's not fair value, and it's not getting close. Two, the windows are very similar, such that you'd really have to start adding multiple high-impact players to that trade to, to, to even approach the level of value and, more importantly, to fit the Rays' timeline for their competitive window.
0: So I agree. Uh, uh, I think okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna rapid fire just a bunch of takes at you right yes. now. All right, take, I'm gonna I'm take me gonna, on. I've got like I've got like five or six opinions on this, and I'm just gonna rapid fire them. Perfect. Number one, Chris Archer is one of the most valuable players in baseball because of his contract. He's not on uh, in terms of talent and output. He's not in the Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, uh, Chris Sale, Corey Kluber category. He's in that next tier. I I still think he's a number one starter. He's not a number one starter in the way that Chris Sale is a number one starter, right. but uh, but but he's you know he's one of the twelve or fifteen best pitchers in baseball. And the thing that differentiates Chris Archer at age twenty nine, most of the guys I just mentioned, especially you know Zach Zach Greinke makes thirty five million dollars per year. Chris Archer will make thirty-five million dollars total over the next four years. <laughs> right. So, so he signed one of those contracts that the Rays and the Indians and some of these other teams have been pushing for years. And Longoria and Archer signed the deals, six or seven-year deals, to wipe out arbitration and uh, guarantee them millions of dollars, but shortchanging them on an annual basis. So that's 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 you know he's. It's going to take a lot just because he's under team control for four years at an insanely reduced rate compared to the market. I agree with what you said about Max Kepler. I think there's a lot of upside there. I really like his demeanor, I like his skill sets. He hasn't reached his potential at all yet. And he's right now, He, I mean, he's a platoon guy. He yes. can't hit lefties. Yes. But I, 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 I'm confident that whether it's with the Rays or the Twins, he's going to emerge on a much higher level than he has the first two years, but I would still absolutely give him up in a trade for Chris Archer. You can find corner outfielders. If you don't play center field, shortstop, top-level pitcher or catcher, maybe secondarily, third base and second base, I can find you. I can find a left fielder. I can find a first baseman, and Max Kepler's not a center
1: fielder. He's a corner outfielder. Let me pause you in your takes rampage to say that, like, this is. I'm talking to you, Judd. I know you downloaded this podcast. I know you want to know what I'm saying about you behind your back. I'm. I'm talking right at you right now, bro. If <laughs> if you've got a trade, and I'm joking, I love you, Judd. If if you've got a trade, and you follow one team very closely, your tendency is to overrate your own players and your own prospects, and to underrate sort of what's coming back, right? And and I think that that's happening here. If you say to yourself. Oh, this is a possible trade? I'd do that in a heartbeat. Tell you what, that trade doesn't happen. There aren't trades anymore with 30 smart front offices or 28, 29 smart front offices. There aren't trades where the average fan or you or me, Phil, can sit in and say, like, that's a no-brainer. I would do that instantly. Those trades don't happen. If you have a trade that you say you would do instantly, pretty good indication that the other side... Not going to be that interested in it. And that, to me, is what is happening here with Max Kepler. If you said you could get Chris Archer and all you'd be losing out on is a is a corner outfielder who might lose playing time against lefties this year, every single Twins fan, just about... I did see some people on my Facebook page who want to keep Kepler and wouldn't do that deal. But, but for the most part, I'd say 98% of Twins fans would be like, yeah, all right, sounds yeah, good. No. If that happens, yeah, it's, it's a clear indication that uh, it's not really a realistic trade possibility. Well,
0: so I think we can. Yeah, let's just be realistic. If you put yourself, there's no reason for the Rays to. The Rays can wait a year or two years yes. to trade Archer if they want to. Yep. So, uh, if I can continue my take rampage, yes, please do. I would. I I would structure a deal this way. I would. I would take Byron Buxton, Jose Barrios, and Royce Lewis off limits. Let's come back to the Royce Lewis thing too, because there's a chance that the line in the sand is right in front of Royce Lewis and you might have to make a decision as a franchise, would you trade Royce Lewis in a package for Chris Archer? Because I'm sure that's what they're going to ask for. Uh, and other teams, I'm sure there's 10 other teams that are trying to trade for Chris Archer. But but for starters, I would take Buxton, Barrios, and Royce Lewis off the table, and I would structure an offer that looks something like this. Take your pick between Max Kepler or Miguel Sano, or like Jorge Polanco, so take a... Take a semi-established major leaguer with upside in his mid-20s and team control. And it sounds like they've already settled on Kepler. But, you know, I would, I would offer Miguel Sano because I think, I mean, you and I differ a little on that. But I would, I would make it worth their while and say, hey, here is a major league-ready player with upside and team control. Mm-hmm. And then I would offer one of, and they can pick, the organization's three best pitching prospects. So choose one of these three Blaine Enlo, Fernando Romero, Steven Gonsalves. Any one of those is yours, along with Max Kepler and Nick Gordon. That's the offer I would make. Maybe they already made that offer and were shot down and told, hey, it's Royce Lewis and Max Kepler or bust, or we're going to go to another team. Uh, but, like, you know, Nick Gordon. Is very good at a lot of things. I don't think he's elite at anything in particular. He doesn't seem like a franchise caliber player that's going to be your best player for years to come. I think he's probably going to settle in as a good, solid major leaguer. And you already have Royce Lewis. Um, so, I mean, to me, from a Twins perspective, Nick Gordon is expendable, and you have Jorge Polanco right now. So, Nick Nick Gordon is very expendable. If I'm if I'm you know in the Twins front office, the fact that you have three pitchers, maybe even four if you count the 19 year old Venezuelan kid in rookie ball last year in your top seven or eight baseball America uh, you know top 10 list. I'm comfortable giving up Blaine Enlo Fernando Romero or Steven Gonzalves along with Max Kepler. If they say no and they demand Royce Lewis, I think I walk away because I don't and we can get into this historically the number one overall pick position players, are almost always all stars or Hall of Famers the last twenty five years and at worst it's Delman Young where he plays at an all star level for like four years and then goes away because he's an off the field disaster. Um so but that's that's what I would I would center it around Max Kepler, a stud pitcher, Nick Gordon, and maybe if there's another lower level like flyer on a seventeen or eighteen year old kid in uh, in rookie ball, we can have that conversation. Yeah. So um, and then and then the only other thing too, Lavelle reported that the Rays may want any team, including the twins, to pick up Denard Spann's contract, which there's one year and then a four million dollar buyout in 2019. He can still play a little bit. I would have no problem eating like twelve million dollars of Denard Spann for one year and have him platoon in right field. Hmm. You know, he, I mean, he can still get on base a little bit if you had to just eat that to get Chris Archer and replace Max Kepler for a year. Uh, while Brent Rooker fires it up in Double A, I would have no problem with that. That's where I stand on the Archer talks. I would, and in fact, I'll add this again. Now that I'm rambling, I think this is the type of move. If you're close and it's and it doesn't require Royce Lewis in the deal, find a way to get it done. It it brings you from a borderline playoff team to to maybe even a surefire playoff team and also puts you in a position to acquire somebody else at the trade deadline and maybe win a World Series. Mm, yeah. I think Chris Archer, with, with Byron Buxton behind him and Brian Dozier, he's one of the best strikeout pitchers in baseball. Um, and, and, and people are going to point to, well, he lost 19 games two years ago. Chris Archer had some of the worst run support of any pitcher in baseball the last two years so don't don't give me the win-loss record and uh and and i'll take my chances with byron Buxton tracking down some of those fly balls
1: yeah well i'd say touch them all listeners are a cut above and they're probably not going to come back at you with the win-loss record but maybe some of them will yes i think you're right um so i think that the one thing i two two real arguments i want to get into here is that You're talking quality for quantity, and in some cases that works. Like The Twins could lose, quote-unquote, the trade in terms of total value of the package and still come out as winners because if Chris Archer makes you a division-relevant playoff team and you can mess around and win a playoff series, now you're talking about the World Series? Okay, that matters more than, well, Chris Archer delivered 10 wins above replacement over the course of this contract— and the guys we gave up delivered 12, so we lost the trade. No, doesn't work like that. Value is not even. It is not decided in a vacuum. So I think you could make a case for a package around, like, I'm just making this up based off what you said. But if you were like, all right, Ottoberto Mejia, Max Kepler, Nick Gordon, and take your pick between these two low-level, high-ceiling pitching prospects. Yeah, okay, Great, that's kind of interesting. If you're the Rays, you got an affordable pitcher, you got a guy who might be your shortstop for years to come. Uh, who else did I put in there? Uh Oh, Kepler. Like a
0: like a Fernando Romero or something. Sure.
1: Somebody. I was thinking maybe more like, you know, a a, a gamble guy whereas Romero's sort of getting close to the big leagues here. Might might debut this year. Um but yeah, whatever. Fernando Romero, fine. Put put him in there. Now, you're talking about And then I I also mentioned Max Kepler. That's a guy who could maybe play some center field for you or corner outfield and and a guy you can have under your team control for five years and maybe you think he can figure out the lefties thing. Well, then great. Now you're talking about a really nice package in return. It still sucks to give up your best player, but that's a lot more palatable if you're Tampa Bay. Uh, Whereas if you're the Twins, yeah, maybe you'll lose that trade because maybe Nick Gordon himself is worth – 10 wins above replacement in his first six years or whatever. Or or maybe Mejia figures it out and is like a mid-rotation starter. Uh, whatever. Any number of outcomes could pan out with any of those players. And if you play the quality versus quantity game, it is possible that both sides win. It's like your fantasy football trades, only better, because actually both teams might get better in this. The second thing that needs to be said about this whole... Chris Archer trade package speculation. It's the same thing I thought about when at the winter meetings it was reported that the Pirates made a big ask from the Twins for Garrett Cole. And I don't know if if you have the package in front of you, what that trade off was. I certainly don't have it on my computer here. Um, But I remember thinking, my knee-jerk, you guys asked me about it on the radio, you put me on the spot and said, would you do this deal if you're the Twins? And I didn't even have to think very long about it because I was like, no if you're if you want if you like this deal from Minnesota's perspective you like Garrett Cole more than i like Garrett Cole and i think Garrett Cole's a good pitcher but he's more like top 50 not top 10 the point of my nonsensical rambling is just to say that you've got to think of from from the trading team's perspective you have to think of not only the high end of what those things could be you have to think about the low end and, and and almost think about them as equal possibilities. So let's go through it. That trade that I mentioned, K okay, Bert Mejia, low end, he's a he's like a five starter who can't eat innings because he can't pitch more than four and two thirds every time out, but he's still got some strikeout stuff. Nice lefty, eat some innings for you. Upside, mid-rotation guy. You like him. Max Kepler, downside. Uh not even an everyday player, kind of more of a platoon guy that needs to sit against lefties. Good defensive player that you like him, but limited player. Upside, perennial all-star. I mean, if, if Max Kepler can hit lefties, he's an all-star player right now. Um, Who else did I mention in that? Nick Gordon, upside, starting yeah. shortstop in the big league, six years of team control, affordable, hits some home runs, maybe 15 home runs a year, gets on base a little bit. Not going to steal you too many bags necessarily, but he'll swipe some bags and he'll play shortstop. Downside, second baseman who struggles to hold down a starting spot in the big leagues. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying it's the range of possibilities. you got to play that, so I'll cut myself off here rather than going through the entire minor league system of the Minnesota (laughs) Twins. But the point is just that you have to think about the high upside outcome, the low upside outcome. And the likelihood of any of those things panning out, I guess my point is just that we tend to think of twins prospects as finished products and what they possibly could be at the high end, not what their sort of middle tier outcome is. And I, I think that's really, really important when you're talking about blockbuster trades.
0: So I love so the the path you're going down there, I wanna I wanna add to that and go back to the Royce Lewis thing here for a second. Yes. After a word for one of our loyal partners at 1500 ESPN and the Touch Em All podcast, Luther Brookdale Toyota, where you can get into a brand new Camry right now, 2018 model with all kinds of upgraded safety features, sleek new exterior, uh, a new touchscreen on the interior, uh, which which sort of acts just like your the face of your smartphone, the Entune system. $199 a month, 36-month lease, and we're talking just a reasonable down payment. And if you want the best combination of durable vehicle with credibility and also great people, great service, family-like environment that my family has been going to for 30-plus years, Luther Brookdale Toyota is your spot. Plus, you can help out the Touch All podcast, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. So, Derek, let's dive into this question that we fought about on our radio show today, specifically – would you trade Royce Lewis in a deal if that if that was the point of, you know, that you know that's the line in the sand and the Rays say this is a done deal. And Chris Archer is yours, but it's got to be Max Kepler and Royce Lewis or it's got to be Royce Lewis and, you know, whatever combination I want to do two things. I want to read to you a list of the of the number one overall pick position players the last twenty years in major league baseball twenty five years and just just to help everyone understand if you say yes, I would do that trade. I would for sure trade a minor leaguer for known commodity Chris Archer. You should know what you're trading, but this concept that we go into a lot on this podcast, lottery tickets, I think you have to do as good of a job as you can you know, almost putting a percentile or a lottery ticket percentage in, and like you said, different ranges, not just boom or bust, but you know, what's kind of the, what's the mean, what's the median for each player? Um, you know, if you're a, if you're a 10th a round pick and you're in, and you're in low a right now to start the season, your percentage chance of being a quality everyday starter in the big leagues is like 2%, 3, 4, 5%, Sounds somewhere in there. Me. It yeah, whatever like it's a low percentage. Good. If you're a if you're a first round pick like a comp pick, a late first round guy or a sandwich pick like a Jose Barrios, but so you're really talented physically, you got all the tools and you're also performing well right now in double A, maybe your percentage to be a number 3 starter is uh 60% or something like that. If you're talking about the number 1 overall pick in the draft, so consensus uber talented You know, mental makeup off the charts. The last 25 years, that lottery ticket is more like 80 to 90% to contribute and 50 to 60% to be a perennial all star. That's what Royce Lewis's lottery ticket looks like right now before he even steps foot on a double A field. In fact, I want to read this list to you. And get your reaction. So, and I think you and I agree we wouldn't put Royce Lewis in at all the first round of conversations. And for me, I just wouldn't include him. Period. For uh, for almost anybody, Byron Buxton the same way. Carlos Correa, 2012. Bryce Harper was number one overall in 2010. Tim Beckham in 2008, and you might say, well, that's a bust. It took him a while, but Tim Beckham was really, really good last year for the Rays. Great defensive middle infielder. Hit twenty plus home runs. He got on base. Uh we're talking power in a small package, steals bases. Justin Upton, two thousand five number one overall pick. Stud. Delman Young was a stud for a while. Had a bunch of off the field, I don't know, conflicts of interest, shall we say? He was number one overall. Joe Maurer, Adrian Gonzalez, Josh Hamilton, Pat Burrell. Darren Erstad was a very good player, nineteen ninety-five number one overall pick, and Alex Rodriguez in nineteen ninety-three. Oh, Chipper Jones also in the early nineties. Hmm. Like that's the like the worst case scenario for a number one overall pick position player the last twenty-five years is Darren Erstad and Delman Young. That's what you're like, you're most likely trading a an Adrian Gonzalez, uh Justin Upton caliber position player if you if you say yes to that just so people know
1: yeah that doesn't really change the way i thought about it which was already not gonna happen because you're talking about a middle of the diamond player who crushed as a 17 year old in his first season of pro ball and i'm not saying it's a guarantee but has a chance to stick at shortstop. If he doesn't stay at shortstop, the word I've heard is that he'd go to center field because he's athletic enough to field either one of them. And so, to me, you're trading six years of cheap Major League time for four years of Archer? It's like, yeah, Archer helps you win a World Series more likely now, but, boy, that's a high price to pay. Flip side, Phil, and this is maybe a fun thought experiment for another episode, or... Maybe it's just too nerdy to even spend more than 10 seconds on Here is that. What if they change the salary structure in the next collective bargaining agreement and you're no longer talking about stealing these players' first six years of their career? Uh, Maybe that changes the way we value a guy like Royce Lewis. But under the current rules, I want me six years of a 22-year-old Royce Lewis on the very cheap, and I'm not giving that up for any single-player player uh, This side of Mike Trout and Bryce Harper on a (laughs) long-term contract. I mean, there are some limitations to my madness. But for the most part, four years of Chris Archer, even four affordable years, would not be enough to have me considering the possibility of giving up the potential upside that Royce Lewis currently represents.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think in a perfect world, Royce Lewis pans out to the same degree as most of the other number one overall pick position players, and he's yours until he retires or close. Yeah. And Byron Buxton figures it out for a full season, and those are your two building blocks. I know that they're like five or six years apart in age, sure. so Buxton Buxton might be exiting his prime as Royce Lewis enters it, but I still think those guys can play together for at least a few years at shortstop and center field and Jose Barrios might still be on your team as the number 1 starter. I mean that's really appealing and I I mean I I would trade almost anyone else in the entire organization outside of those three guys for Chris Archer and I would trade maybe up to four of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I I'm willing to I'm willing to lose that trade in the long run to get this team on a different level. Sure. But Royce Lewis, I'm sorry, he has too much potential.
1: Right. Well, it's the quality versus quantity debate. I guess I want to compare some NBA franchises really quickly, because I think that they can be instructive for how I currently think about the twins. and this, this kind of changed for me in recent weeks, Phil, and really crystallized today. So maybe it's one of those situations where I've just spent too much time thinking about it, and it's like, no, dude, you're wrong. It was the easy answer, and <laughs> you've, you've just spent too much time on the problem now. But the thing the teams that I think about in the NBA are like um, the Boston Celtics. I'm um, scrolling down the list here. Uh, so you want to be the Celtics. You don't want to be the Hawks, or um, you want to be the Spurs or the Warriors. You don't want to be uh, maybe the Lakers is a bad example of this. The only reason the Grizzlies, I, the Jazz, sure the uh, the Jazz, although I could see them kind of climbing up just hasn't quite worked out this year, but whatever. Forget about that for a second. They've
0: they've won 10 games in a row, but they're not going to win in the playoffs. You you don't want to be
1: the Pelicans either, I think. You don't want to be this team that's like, whoa, there, splashy move. Look, we might make it. You want to be the team that collects assets and gets them to all play at peak performance around the same time, and you have to get lucky. No one will argue that the Warriors have not gotten lucky, or even that the Spurs, to a degree, have gotten lucky over the years. But... Put yourself in a good position to get lucky. And, and here's what I mean by this. And I think it compares with what the Twins might be thinking right now. Because you and I, Phil, I think we think about the Twins as like this borderline postseason team that, yeah, needs to make a move or two in the starting rotation to really blossom and get to the point where you're seriously talking about them as a postseason team. Um, right now they're not, but that they're kind of like knocking on that door. I wonder how that perception would be different if they didn't sneak into the playoffs last year. If they won, like, 78 games last year instead of 85, or, or 80 games instead of 85, and they were also rands, they didn't make the wild card, and it was like year one of Falvey and Levine was all about patience and building out the front office, and now we'll see what they're going to do. I think we would look at this team differently, and and it might be how they're looking at this team. The reason I bring up the Boston Celtics is because they're a team that like held on to assets and draft picks and trade candidates, and they could have made some sort of splashy short-term, to use a phrase you like to use, sugar-high players, where you get this guy, great, he maybe helps you win two more games, three more games, but is he going to get you to the ultimate prize, which is a World Series? Uh, Long and rambling way of saying that I wonder if the Twins are looking around the baseball landscape saying, gosh, there are some really good teams. The Angels could be excellent if Shohei Otani's a star. Um, The Yankees are going to be good forever. The Red Sox are great. The Astros are good and getting better all the time. The Indians might win 100 games again this year. Holy cow. So if you're the Twins, do you really want to make that big splash to go from 80 wins to 85 wins if it might cost you a lot in the future? Or are you fine to say, well, it sucks, but we're not a postseason team this year? The flip side of that argument is if we're patient and we keep our guys like Royce Lewis, uh, bruised all, greater all, you know some of the top-end prospects in the organization, Nick Gordon, throw him on that less, Steven Consalves, uh, Fernando Romero, and on and on and on. If we hang on to those guys and, and allow them to sort of trickle up and get to the big leagues, now you're talking about the chance to, to maybe be one of those super teams. If enough of those prospects hit, if enough of your lottery tickets get to cash in, I wonder if the fact that there are so many super teams, just empires being constructed around baseball right now, does that make a mid-market team like the Twins wary of going out and trying to win ninety games? Because what's the point? No, what's it's, the point it's, of winning it, eighty-eight games?
0: Well, it's it's about construction. I mean, it's I, I would I, I don't think there's any reason. I, first of all, I don't think it's going to take Royce Lewis to land Chris Archer. Okay. I think you would have I think I don't I don't think you would have heard Max Kepler's name if like Royce Lewis was the centerpiece of discussions that would, you know, that would sway the trade. So, it, 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 just follow my logic here. Sure. If if you're a borderline playoff team right now and if you can get Chris Archer without having to give up Royce Lewis, A, you do it. B, his contract is friendly enough to the team where you could also then sign Lance Lynn for 4 years and 50-60 million dollars. Sure. And now all now all of a sudden we're talking about now we're talking about a playoff team, and with a couple lucky breaks, if Buxton takes off and if Jose Barrios takes a step forward, you still have ammunition to make another trade if you need to. Uh, now you're like now you're more in the conversation. Maybe you're not going to go pound for pound, name for name against the Houston Astros, but it's not like the NBA or the NFL where you know there's just zero chance for a, a worse team to beat a better team. Sure. If you can get in the same neighborhood as the Astros or the Yankees, and right now you're not, you can beat them in a seven-game series. Um, So I I don't think you should shy away. I think there are moves to be made, and there's money to be spent and prospects to be dealt without giving up Byron Buxton and Royce Lewis, and I would explore those as much as I possibly could from now until the trade deadline. And at least add something in the next two weeks. Yeah,
1: no, I think it's a... I think it's a 100% stone-cold lock they add a pitcher in the next two weeks. And uh, I, I think I'm with you. I, th- I think you converted me uh, on the – you don't have to worry so much about super teams because, you know, even a team with Clayton Kershaw doesn't necessarily win the World Series. Like, uh, there's there are ways to topple Giants, and I guess if you're the Twins, your goal then is just to be in those boxing matches – year after year after year, not, hey, keep your powder dry until you're really ready to you know go round for round with some of those guys. I'm mixing metaphors. I should probably stop talking. That's when I get into trouble. <laughs> but uh, just the basic idea that I used to follow was get good enough to get to the playoffs, be an 86-win team, and, and try to build from there. Be an 86-win team as often as you can. Uh, now I just wonder, has the tanking and super team – you know, dynamic in baseball, has that shifted the power balance? Uh, But I guess we won't really know that for a couple more years until we see how some of these tanking projects work out and and we see if any of the super teams have the staying power that, gosh, it really looks like they're going to have for the next five or ten years.
0: So there's going to be a million more things to dive into here and probably things to react to over the coming weeks. And a quick plug on behalf of Derek, you can find all of his spring training written coverage and audio and video stuff, 1500ESPN.com, uh, you should be following if you're not already. We're stepping up our game, especially our visual game, on um, the 1500 ESPN Twitter and Facebook accounts. That's just at 1500 ESPN for both of them. And all of Derek's written contact uh, content is unlocked. It's free. Yes. It's free and unlocked. You don't have to pay for Derek's written Twins content. Yeah. It's
1: great. It's a great deal. Yeah. Uh, Phil, thanks for the plug. And I will just give me your mailing address. The, the check will be in the mail shortly.